Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. And so one of my goals in preaching this series is for us to sort of move away from what we may think a church ought to be and begin to think biblically about what a church really is. Because it doesn't matter what Mike Foreman thinks a church ought to be or what we ought to be doing. What matters is what does God say about his church? And one of the things that we've been looking at as we've been talking about Jesus building his church is that glorious promise, I mean a big promise that Jesus made that he would grow us, that he would make us into the church that he wants us to be. And we we begin to, to look at that by looking at the fact that there was this promise that he gave us and then we began to look at his first thing that he ever does before he begins to grow a church is to empower us. That is that he gives us the Holy Spirit by which we work he works in and through us, and that's the power. That's the, the engine that makes the church become what the church needs to be. And so we talked about the fact that he empowers us. Then we talked about the fact that he sends us, right? That he goes, he sends us into the world. That you and I are supposed to be ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. Not just as individual believers, but as a collective whole, as a body of Christ. We ought to have the primary mission of our church the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the primary thing, the Great Commission. And that ought to be the primary thing in my life. Jesus didn't save me just to have a ticket to go to heaven. He saved me to be a disciple, to be made into a disciple that is ultimately going and telling other people about Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we ought to be doing and making more disciples. And then we began last week to look at not only did Jesus send us, but Then we look at Jesus starts his church. So Jesus has been talking about church, 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 church. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God comes down. And this man Peter stands up and he responds to the crowd's response to the Holy Spirit of God. And he preaches a gospel message. And at the end of that gospel message, he gives an invitation. At the end of the invitation, 3,000 people get saved. That's tremendous. And the Bible says that they baptized those folks and the Lord added to the their number, the church, that day, about 3,000. So it could be more, about 3,000 souls. And so we know that at this point, at least as a bare minimum, we got 3,120 people that are a part of this first church that Jesus... He doesn't start anything small, does he? He started something pretty glamorous, something pretty big, amen? And so here, this first church comes into existence, and we began to look at, as Jesus starts his church... We looked at this activities in verse 42. There's four things that just sort of stand out that Jesus did immediately in and through the church. And the church is doing as a body of believers, as they've come together, there's four things they sort of centered on. And we talked about that being something they did devotedly. Notice in verse 42 again, we'll read the text and then I'll sort of remind you what we did last week. He says, to us, and they continued, that is, those who were added to the church, those who are already part of this 120 uh, member group of people, and they continue steadfastly. That word means they were devoted to. That was, these are the things that they did on a consistent basis. That is, when they came and they gathered together, this is what they did. But not just when they gathered together, but it's what they did on a constant basis throughout their lives. Their lives were radically changed. Remember, some of these were pagans. 
from all these foreign nations that were proselytes or Jews who came and now God radically changed their life. And so now their lives are different. Your life and my life ought to be different because of the gospel. Amen? We ought to believe differently. We ought to act differently because we're changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this new church comes together and notice the four things they were devoted to. First of all, it says that they were devoted in the apostles' doctrine. We gave a whole exhortation last week talking about that you and I ought to found our whole by or our whole lives, rather, our Christianity, our church, ought to be founded on the truth of this book. Amen? This is, our, this is the apostles' doctrine written down, given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. It's accurate, it's reliable, it's inspired as God breathed, and we have it here to hold in our hands, to enjoy, to read, but also, listen, to have our lives transformed and to become the people of God that we ought to be. And if we want to know how to do church right, then we start with the book. Amen? We start with the Bible. And that's what we're doing. Through this little series, In Jesus Builds His Church, we're starting with the scriptures so that we can become the church that he wants us to be. Because, again, it doesn't matter what kind of church you want or I want. It matters what kind of church does Jesus want because, after all, he says it's his. It's not mine. It's his. Amen? And so when we begin to think about the scripture, notice he starts off by talking about the truth. So that's one thing they're devoted to is the truth. Are you devoted to the truth? And I told you last week, if I was to ever die... Or ever to leave and you get a new pastor who doesn't preach the truth, fire him. Or if I come in next week and start preaching a lie, fire me. Get rid of me. You don't need me. Amen? You don't need somebody who preaches a lie. You're saying, is that going to happen? I'm going to tell you, stranger things have happened. And, you know, but by the grace of God, so go I. Amen? I'm not trying to say that I'm better than some other preachers. There have been a lot of preachers who've changed from the truth to a lie. And they've done that in a pretty rapid succession. And so... I pray that never happens to me. I pray that God would keep my mind focused on the truth and continue to grow me in the truth. So they were devoted to the truth. But that's not all they were devoted to. Notice the text again. And I'm going to break down three other things today, hopefully quickly, hopefully succinctly, so you'll, you'll get them. But notice three other things that they devoted themselves to, verse 42. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. <laughs> John 13 says this, Jesus writing or speaking says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also should love one another. Listen to verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the birthmarks of this new church was the love of, that they were going to have for each other. Isn't it interesting that we begin where we ought to begin? We begin with truth, but that truth makes an impact. And the Bible says not only do they focus on the truth and devoted to the truth, but now they're devoted and focused on one another, their fellowship. Now, let me just, Baptists, listen to me loud and clear. All you Baptists in here, fellowship is not having casserole together. Amen? <laughs> We love to eat. We really do. We love to eat. And uh, I love to eat the food of this church. Uh, it's always great food, and I love to eat. And I don't do so much of that anymore as I used to. But I'm here to tell you, listen to me, that the DNA of this beginning church was ingrained in love. And that was exhibited in their fellowship. And the word kononia 
means fellowship, used 20 times throughout the New Testament. But it talks about having this commonality, having this, this common goal, but also having this common relationship. I like the way Daryl Robinson talks about it in his book called Total Church Life. Listen to how he quotes and says fellowship. He says, fellowship is the sharing of a common life. It is the bond of love and unity that keeps God's people one. Fellowship is the determination, listen to this, is a determination to love one another and stay together. Fellowship refuses to allow wrong to divide. It is this common life, amen? All of us who are believers in Jesus Christ came by the same way, the cross, amen? We're kept by the same way, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're growing the same way, sanctified by the word of God. We're all one, we're all the same, we're all in this one body, we're together in this thing, amen? Yesterday, I noticed as I was heading to town to Lowe's, I noticed over to the right, there's a church that's on the right that's getting ready to try to build a church. They were having a big yard sale. And, and so I was just really praying and convicted by God that I needed to stop by. It's a, a Baptist church, African-American Baptist church. And so I was really convicted of the Spirit to just stop by there. And so I pulled in there. And I was asking and looking for the pastor, and he was out doing a funeral, so he wasn't able to be there. And so I was able to talk to the pastor's wife, and, and uh, she was kind of curious what she need, what I needed. I just said, listen, I just wanted to come by and just tell you that I'm going to covet to pray for your church, that we're in this gospel business together. You know, it's not about my church, your church, or whatever. We're in this gospel business together, and, and we're out trying to win people to Jesus. And so... I began and I said, look, I just want to pray for y'all. Why? Because, listen, we're all part of the same body of Christ. Amen? And, and we can have fellowship with them. Amen? Because they believe Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead. He's the only way to heaven. They have, they have the same doctrinal understanding that we have. And so we can be brothers and sisters with them. And that needs to be the mark of our unity and fellowship and love. And how do we see this played out? Well, we can read the rest of Acts 2. We don't have time to do all that today. Go home and read it today. You'll find out that the way they express this love and this fellowship, and I'm going to use it this way, is through all the one another's. Think about all the one another's in the Scripture. 59 different times in the Bible, it talks about the one another's. That is, loving one another being kind-hearted to one another. And there are a multitude of those serving one another. And we could go list after list after list after list. Listen, forgiving one another, bearing with one another. There's a lot of one another's in the Scripture that sort of help define what does it look like to be a fellowship of believers. And you and I, listen, we ought to be participating in those one another's. If I'm saved, if I belong to Jesus, if I belong to the local church, then I want to begin to do some of those one another's. Amen? But there's two things I want to talk about primarily that they did that, listen, we often take for granted. Or we not only take for granted, we just don't practice them like we should. And that is, first of all, and I, and I hate to even go there because I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you're here. But it goes back to the fact that they were together. Amen? The Bible, if you read the rest of the text, says that they met daily. They were always together. They know how to live life in communion with one another and in community with one another. And we have lost the art of that today. I told you, and I'll tell you again because it's worth repeating. Statistically, we're told that an active church member is somebody who only comes to church twice a month. That's sad. That is, I don't know how we've gotten to this place, but let me tell you something. That's not just at Level Plains. 
That's at Hillcrest across town, at First Baptist across town. That's at mega churches like Woodstock, where Johnny Hunt serves as pastor. That's where, you know, Adrian Rogers' old church or Steve Gaines' pastor. Listen, it's everywhere. It's an epidemic that has plagued the modern-day church, that we think that I'm a good, outstanding, faithful church member if I only go to church twice a month. Listen, we ought to be praying for people that they would get a little bit more committed than that. Amen? That they get a little more serious about that. I realize we work hard all week long. I realize that we're tired. I realize that Saturday we got to cut grass, we go to ball. I realize we got all those things. But let me tell you something. When we put other things in place of coming and fellowshipping and being with God's people, we have a misplaced priority. We really do. How do I know that? Well, Hebrews 10.25, preacher's sword. We love to use this little dagger. But listen to what he says. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. I like other translations. It says, as is the habit of some. There are some who get in the habit of every other week coming to church. I, I, you know, Tim and I talk about it in, in standing all the time. I, I, t- I refer to it as I have the A group. The B group and the C group. A group, you're always here. Praise God, I thank God for you. I'm glad you're always here. You're committed. But then there's the B and C. They swap weeks. Amen? We got, we got B group here this week. Next week it'll be C group, and B group will be out. I mean, I've never seen so many people take as much vacations as, as they can. And I'm going to just tell you, I told them Wednesday night, and I guess it's worth repeating, I had someone tell me a few weeks ago that they just didn't feel like coming to church today. I'm going to tell you, I don't know about that, but you know, I, I, there's some days I don't feel like it, Steve. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm the preacher. You know, when my alarm went off at 5 a.m. this morning, I didn't feel like getting out of bed. But you know what I did? I got out of bed. I put my feet on the floor, and I rub, rubbed my eyes, and I walked down the hall bumping into the, the wall, and uh, went to the coffee pot and got it going, amen, so I can get some go-go juice, so I can get going where I needed to go. But listen, people do not make it a priority to come church. We ought to be praying. Listen, church, we ought to be praying. Those of us who are active and faithful, rather than complaining about those who aren't here, we ought to be praying for them that they'll get the same fire in their bones and be a part of the church. And it's not legalism. It's fellowship. It's what we do. We come together. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute. You just hang in there. The second thing that we need to take as a priority is we need to clean up our lives. Amen? We need to live holy lives. Because, listen, sin separates what does sin separate? Well, the Bible says ultimately our sins separate us from a holy God. Amen? That's the whole beauty of the gospel is that there was nothing we can do. Remember we talked about it a few weeks ago. The bad news is you're a sinner. The worst news is you can do nothing about it. The good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he paid the penalty of your sin, bearing your sin debt in his own flesh. And by his blood he washes our sin clean. The the good news is he rose from the dead to justify us, to make us right with God. The better news is is that if we'll repent and put our faith in Christ, he saves us. He gloriously makes us from being outcasts to be his children. And the glorious thing about that is, listen, we can have fellowship with God now. But the problem is, as we come into the body of Christ and we begin to grow in the body of Christ, sin can separate. John reminds us of that in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, that is with Christ, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Listen to what he goes on and says, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Listen to what he says now. With one another. So fellowship with Jesus Christ is having fellowship with his body. 
Amen? Having fellowship with Jesus is having fellowship with one another in the church. If I'm walking in sin, if i got sin in my life, listen, it, cl- it clouds my relationship with you. And I'm going to tell you what happens with most people. You know why they don't come to church? Because they got sin in their life, and they don't want to be reminded of it. And so it's better to stay at home so they're not reminded of the sin they got. And so they stay away. That's the reality. That's the truth. I hear people all the time, well, if I can just get over this, I'll be back at church. Well, bless God. Come to church, and maybe church will help you get over it. Amen? Sin always separates. And we have to make sure that we are holy and clean because it can hurt our fellowship of the body of Christ. Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we begin to sin, listen, then we begin to tolerate sin in the church. Guess what? Then we've got a whole church full of sinning people. You start getting a church whole full of sinning people. Guess what? We make no impact in the world. Why? Because all we are are a bunch of hypocrites. Amen? And nobody wants to be a part of a church that's full of a bunch of sin. So my word to you today is, listen, be here, but also be here and be holy. Amen? Clean up your life. If you've got sin in your life, repent of it now. Ask God to cleanse you and forgive you and be right with God so it doesn't separate you in fellowship. Now, before I leave the word on fellowship, I've got to say something else because it's crucial and important, and it's in the text. And that is, first of all, we, I hear all the time, and somebody even said to me, I guess it was eight years ago, Tim, somebody said to me these very words. Here's what they said. I don't want our church to grow. That's what they said to me, to my face. I don't want our church to grow. I can call the name of the person, but I won't do that because I want to protect their innocence. And, and here's, here's what I said. Well, why, why would you not want what Jesus wants, a growing church? And here's what they said to me. Because it's just the right size. I don't want it to get any bigger. Well, bless God, can I just tell you something? The first church was 3,120 people. That's a pretty big church. As a matter of fact, what, what did he start? Jesus started a mega church. <laughs> he really did. Think about it. He started a mega church. Think about it, 3,120 people. That's a lot of folks. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the Bible testify here in this text, does it testify here in this text that they had fellowship? It does, doesn't it? So how is it that we have fellowship? How is it that we can be together? Can I just have you slip down to verse 46? Because the answer is there. Listen to verse 46, how this fellowship continues on. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. There it is, stop. They met in large group. That's what we're doing this morning. This morning we came to church, right, to meet in larger groups. We're not in a temple. <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a local church building. Okay, this is a building. This is not a church. This is a building. So we're in an auditorium. We've come together. We've gathered together as the large body. Amen? Hey, can, I, can I ask you, do you look around this room. Do you know everybody in this room? Does everybody know everybody in this room? Certainly not. Certainly not. I, I, I pretty much know everybody in this room. I think I've had conversations individually with everybody in this room, and I've been blessed to be able to do that. But listen, not everybody knows everybody else in this room. So even in a church this size, we don't know everybody. But notice what they did. They came together daily, and they met for this large group. But then notice what happens. Notice what happens to them. So they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Let me tell you how you can improve the fellowship of First Baptist Church Level Plains. Get up a little earlier on Sunday morning and come to Sunday school. Amen? Go to Sunday school. 
There's a lot of great classes on campus, and you can go to Sunday school. And when you go to Sunday school, listen, it will enable you to have fellowship with other people. It's pretty good. If you're a senior adult, listen, let me tell you, one of the missing things about our senior adults that you're missing that you need to be a part of is you need to come at 845 on Sunday morning and join us in the Fellowship Hall because we're doing a hymn sing, and we're getting a good, listen, we're getting a good introductory lesson or word about the lesson from David. And we appreciate you doing that, David. He gives us a good introductory lesson. Listen, it's like, remember old school, old school was we had department meetings, amen? You remember all, come on, senior adults, you remember old school department meetings? Y'all better say amen. I know you remember those things. You're not that old. That's what it's like. And you can come be a part of that. And listen, in that time is great fellowship. But be a part of a small group. Go to a Sunday school class. And listen, there are some small groups that meet during the week. Become a part of one of the small groups that meet during the week. If you don't know where they are, then see myself or see uh, Brother Tim, and we'll be glad to inform you where small groups are meeting, how you can be attached to a small group, become a part of a small group. We would love to have you be a part of that ministry. That's how we keep the church, listen, that's how we keep the church fellowshipping, amen? We fellowship today around singing, around the Word of God. We fellowship with one another in conversations, but listen, it goes deeper when we get alone together in small groups. And so let me encourage you, be a part of a small group. Be a part of a small group. It's so, so important. So the, the first church, what did they do? They devoted themselves to truth, but they devoted themselves to each other, to fellowship. But then, listen, they devoted themselves to Christ. And you're saying, where is that in that text? Well, look at verse 42, because we find it in the next phrase. He says, they devoted themselves steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and then in the breaking of bread, now, again, we talked about fellowships, not casseroles. But let me tell you one of the ways the church fellowships and one of the ways they devoted themselves, and that is to be Christ-like in the Lord's Supper. Now, where do we get the Lord's Supper out of that? Well, if you look at your English Bible, it says in, I am, and then there's a little word called a definite article in the Greek, and it is T-H-E, the, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread, now it's argued among some scholars, but the breaking of bread describes something specific. It's not just that they got together and they had donuts like we did this morning, all right? So the breaking of bread, I believe, is talking about what we do occasionally at our church on the fifth Sunday, and that is the Lord's Supper. And so they come together for the Lord's Supper. Now, I want you to think about the Lord's Supper for a minute, and what is its significance? What is the Lord's Supper all about? It's about focusing on Jesus. So here the believers got together, and when they got together... They celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now listen, there is nothing in the Bible that says we have to do the Lord's Supper every fifth Sunday or every week. Nobody, nobody in the Bible says that we have to do that. Paul just says in his instructions, for as often as you eat it. So for as often. Now, now I will say this, listen, often, right? Often. And the, and the Lord's Supper is not ritual. It is something that reminds us and something that is very Christ-centered. And so when you and I get together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is to remind us that this church, listen, belongs to Jesus. But listen, so do I as a believer. I belong to Jesus. Amen? So I come together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we do that often. And no one ever instructs us otherwise. So it reminds me Christ-centered. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm just going to summarize. First of all, it reminds us that we are indeed the body of Christ. And we should live together in unity. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, 
You know, there's some factions among you. There's some division among you. He says, and in part, I believe it. He said, when you come together, is it not to celebrate the Lord's Supper? And so here they come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And yet they were fighting and bickering and arguing. And what it reminds us is, is that ultimately Jesus is in charge. You're not. Quit fighting. Quit bickering. He says, it also reminds us that Jesus died and rose from the dead. I mean, that's the central elements, right? That we drink the, the cup and we have the, the bread that's there to remind us of the, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, the fact that he rose from the dead for us to redeem us, to make us his children. And then he reminds us that we ought to examine ourselves. Paul says, after he gives those instructions about, you know, on that same night in which Jesus betrayed, he took the, the, the bread and blessed it, the cup and blessed it. And then he says this, he says, so let a man examine himself and let him eat and drink of the cup in a worthy manner. Not making ourselves worthy, but it's looking at the the sacrifice of Christ in a worthy way, realizing that it is what has redeemed us, realizing that it is what's valuable, realize it is Jesus-centered and not us-centered. And then he says we ought to examine ourselves in the sense that, listen, is there anything you're dealing with? Is there any separation between you and God as far as your fellowship because of sin? Deal with that. And then it, it's also to remind us that as often as we drink, remember what Paul says, he's coming back. Jesus is coming again. And so the early church, when they met together, they fellowship in the breaking of the bread. That is, they were Christ-centered. Isn't that awesome to be a Christ-centered church? I want you to think about what it means to be Christ-centered this morning. I wrote down some things that I'll just read to you that I wrote down if you're a Christ-centered church. First of all, a Christ-centered church makes much, makes much of the Savior. Amen? I don't come to church and it's about me. I come to church and it's about Jesus. I make much of the Savior, whether it be in the preaching, whether it be in the fellowship, whether it be in the songs, we make much of Jesus. Why? Because a Christ-centered church has members who love and honor Jesus with their worship and with their living. Amen? That's what a Christ-centered church is. A Christ-centered church, number two, they have members who love their church. Why? Because Jesus loves his church. Amen? Number three, a Christ-centered church has members who participate in the life of the church because when they do, they realize they're ultimately serving Christ, not other people. Amen? Fourthly, a Christ-centered church has members who love the leadership because they realize that the leadership has been placed there to help disciple them to be the workers of ministry. Amen? Christ-centered church. So what does a non-Christ-centered church look like? What does it look like when we get things off balance and Jesus is not the centered? When you have a people-centered church, that's what I call it. So rather than being Christ-centered, we're people-centered. And when we're people-centered, listen, we have members who complain about things because it doesn't go their way. Sometimes I want to have, a, have a, a bunch of pacifiers on my desk and give them out when people come in. Sometimes we complain about things we ought not even be complaining about. I mean, come on, let's just be adults here. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm back in high school, amen? And we complain about things that high schoolers complain about. Number two, we have members who think that their tithe is, is the country club dues. And so they expect everything to be their way or they expect certain benefits. Let me tell you something, your tithe, remember I talked to this about a few weeks ago, when your tithe crosses the threshold of the church, it belongs to God, no longer does it belong to you. And you should be giving it for the ministry of the church, not because you want to, you know, have some kind of benefit as a result of the tithe. Number three, they have members who are critical of the leadership. Now, all leaders are going to be criticized. I realize that. But if for some reason in the church, we feel like we can be overcritical. We can be overjudgmental. 
And so we criticize the leadership of the church. Number four, we have members who don't participate in the life of the church, uh, but take the church for granted. Amen? We have people, listen, I'm telling you, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. When we are a people-centered church, here's what happens. People don't do anything for the church. They don't do anything to serve the church. They don't do anything to serve the Lord. And even they, they are in and out of the church and that sort of thing. But let a crisis happen in their life, and they're going to want the pastor right there. Or they're going to want you right there. Or they're going to want this from you. Or they're going to want that from you. Listen to me. It's the truth, and you know I'm telling the truth. That's what happens when we become people-centered. It no longer becomes about Jesus. It becomes about keeping people happy and doing things for everybody. And listen, that's not what a church ought to be. The church is about Jesus and doing what Jesus has called us to do. And we've already looked at some of those already. He wants us empowered by the Spirit, and he wants us serving by making disciples of all nations. We already know that's the primary. But then lastly, how can all this be a reality? How can we be devoted to the truth? How is it that we can be devoted to one another? How is, how is that going to happen? How are you and I going to be devoted in being Christ-centered? It's going to happen by that last word. Notice in verse 42, the breaking of bread and then in prayer. We need to be a praying church, amen? Can I just get an amen? amen. We need to be a praying church. Absolutely Critical to the life of First Baptist Church Little Plains is the prayers of its saints. Amen? Absolutely critical to the life of Level Plains is the prayers of her saints. Listen, prayer is what glorifies the Father. And we want to be a praying people. You know, the early church knew the necessity of prayer. I, I can't go through every text, every chapter, but listen to this. Acts 2, they're praying when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts 3, Peter and John went to a prayer meeting. Acts 4, after Peter and John got arrested and got, got persecuted, it says at the end of chapter 4, they prayed for boldness when persecuted. In Acts 6, they selected men of prayer to be deacons. They didn't want anybody to be a deacon. They, just, they didn't say, well, he's never been divorced. He qualifies. He may be a heathen, but he's never been divorced. He qualifies. That's the way we are in a Baptist church, right? Or he comes all the time. Well, he's still a heathen. Is he a man of prayer? Well, I'll be looking for people who are men of prayer to serve as our deacons. Amen? Prayer was important. And I wonder if we can really say that about us here at Level Plains. Is prayer really important to us? Good question. Are we a praying church? After all, Jesus said in Matthew 21, My house shall be called a house of prayer. For sure, we all could do better, right? We're all probably in this room in the same boat in the sense that we, we all wish we could pray harder, longer. But you know, the reality is God is just looking for us to be faithful and consistent in praying. Doesn't have to be hard, doesn't have to be long, doesn't have to be superfilious words. I don't know if that's a word, but it's okay, it doesn't matter. I make them up as I go along. <laughs> you know, God is just looking for us to acknowledge him not make our plans, not do our, our calendaring and everything else, and then say, God, what do you think? Will you bless it? Isn't that what we do with our lives? We, we're either lagging behind God or we're running in front of him. And God just wants us to pray. The church should be committed to that. Amen? Committed to prayer. We don't pray near enough in our Sunday gatherings. We don't pray near enough during our other gatherings during the week. We need to be praying. And what I mean by that is it's not that we don't 
we don't pray. Listen, how many of y'all pray at your meal? But it's the same prayer every time you pray at a meal. Lord, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Let's dig in. Amen. You know, we say the same prayer. We're, we're consistently saying the same thing. I, I can, one of my churches, I knew when it was time to pray over the offering, we had our deacons take up the offering in this particular church I was in. And, and every once in a while, they rotate who's praying. And this one deacon, it didn't matter what he was going to pray. I knew exactly what he was going to say. Because he said the same thing every time. See, I just wonder if it's just rote. I wonder if we just go through the, through the motions of praying. Have we, have we ever stopped to wonder, you know, maybe I need to pray specifically. You know, am I, am I a preacher? Am I praying specifically for the, Let me just give you a handful of things. Are you praying specifically for me? I know that's selfish, but that's okay. I can be selfish a little bit because I need your prayers. I'm that, I'm that much of a screw-up. I need help. <laughs> so pray for me. Pray for Tim. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your Sunday school teachers. Amen? Pray for the sick that are in this congregation. You know, pray for each other. Are we praying specifically? And what, you know, when we talk about specific prayer, are we, are we praying? Are we asking God, Jesus, through this series of Brother Mike's preaching, uh, you want to build our church. God, will you do that? Will you build your church? And God here is specific. Will you use me to do it? Will you help me to be what Brother Mike's been talking about these few weeks? Will you help me to be that Christian who's devoted to the truth? Who's devoted to the other believers in the church? To be devoted to you, Jesus Christ, above all things? And to certainly be devoted to prayer. You know, God, am I praying specifically to be that kind of Christian, to be that kind of person? Because I'm going to tell you, listen, without prayer, we're not going to accomplish anything for God's glory. Because that's what it's all about. This church doesn't exist for us to turn in an ACP at the end of the year and go, look at us. Woo. We took in more money this year than we've ever taken in. We baptized more people than we've ever baptized. We got more people coming on Sunday morning than we've ever had. That's about us. Now it needs to be about him. How's Jesus getting preeminence? How's Jesus getting honor? How's Jesus being glorified in the life of First Baptist Church, Low Plain? See, we can talk about Jesus building his church, but the reality is the rubber meets the road when we think about us here at home. Not the church in Acts, but us. And it gets even deeper when I begin to think about me and my role in functioning in the body of Christ. And that's important. So let me bring it down to some commitment time, some questions I want to ask you. First of all, do you, and you don't have to answer audibly, please don't, do you love the other members of this church? And I'm gonna, can I just be frank with you? This morning in our Sunday school time, we were looking in Romans 12, and one of the things I said to our church or to my Sunday school class is that there's times where we say, you know, I love you, but I don't like you. Can I just tell you, that goes against what the Scripture says. And if you go back and read Romans 12, I can't remember the exact verse it was in, somewhere around verse 10, 11, or 12, right in those verses, it talks about to be kindly affectionate toward one another. You know what that means? Not only do I love you, but David, I like you. You say, well, you just don't know what somebody said to me. I don't care what they said to you. If you want a good hard lesson, go ask Jesus. Jesus, do you hear what they said to me? Jesus is going to say, well, first of all, that's nothing. I've heard a lot worse. The second thing Jesus is going to say to you is, 
I pray the Holy Spirit open your heart and say, go to Matthew 5 and read Matthew 5. Jesus said, love those who persecute you. Bless those who despitefully, despitefully use you. See, I can love you and I can like you. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit lives inside me. Do you love the people of this church? If you don't, get right. <laughs> Ask God to help you to. Or go find a church where you can love the people. Number two, are you committed? Are you an active member of the church? Whew, that's loaded with a lot of stuff. Three, is Jesus really the center of your life? Because listen, if he's not the center of your life personally, you'll never help us to make Jesus the center of the life congregationally. Simply put, pray. Will you pray? Will you commit yourself to pray? Because we need praying people. Amen? So here's the invitation this morning. The altar's open. You come and commit yourself to these things and let God receive the glory. Let God have the honor. And let me tell you, if you want to be a part of this church, where it begins is at the foot of the cross. Where it begins is at salvation's moment, where you repent of your sin and you put your faith in Christ. Not because you're a good person, not because you're coming to a Baptist church, not because you deserve it, because we all deserve hell. But the glorious love of God is that Jesus Christ died for you in your place. Literally in your place. You deserve to die, but he died in your place and he bore your sin debt on the cross of Calvary. And his blood was shed to wash away your sin. And he rose from the dead, Paul says, to justify you. That is to make you right with God so that you who were an outcast can be brought into the family of God. That's the good news of the gospel. But that's also where church membership begins. Because what we're talking about is being a part of his church, universally, the body of Christ. That's the only way to come. There's no other way. There's no other way. And if God is calling, if the Spirit is drawing, surrender to him today. Give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.